Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode six of season two of the Running Rams podcast. As always, I'm Gavin Bishow. And I'm Colin Struckman. And today we have a great episode for you. We go over roadies last week. They go as they go one and one against Harvard in the loss to rival Providence. And we look forward to this week where they have one game against the Sacred Heart Pioneers, as well as our picks in the rest of the A-10 layout. We have a lot to get into, so let's get into it. Karan Iverson clears it. Iverson gets away from the defense, dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He dunks it home as the buzzer's found. And Rody, the 8-10 champs. With four. Oda, 30 feet away. Jumper in the air. He's got it. Lamar Oda has won it for Rhode Island. Seconds left to the corner. Shot for three by Stan. Terrell down to eight seconds. Got to go right. In traffic, off-balance shot. Thank you, Jared Terrell. And for the first time since 2009, it's Rhode Island over Providence in the Ocean State Bowl. Oh, wow. Terrell from outside. Kingston, he puts it in. Before we start, you want to shout out our social medias on Twitter and on Instagram. On Instagram, it's at running.rams.pod. And on Twitter, it's at runningramspod. Uh, we tweet during games. We post our episodes on both sites there. So just give us both a follow there. That would really help us out. And you stay up to date on all of our podcast releasing times. So just want to shout those out quickly before we get into the episode. But nonetheless, Colin, let's get right into it. The Rams started off. Their week last Wednesday, going to Harvard, taking on the Crimson. After a shaky start to the game in Cambridge, the Rams went to their go-to against the Crimson. They hammered the paint. So after a back-and-forth seven or so minutes, the Rams hammered the paint, hammered the paint, and Colin, the Rams happened to hammer the paint. I mean, the main theme of this one was size and defense. The Rams cruised to a 16-point, 38-22 halftime lead with unbelievable defense and just an all-around unstoppable presence down low. In the second half, the Rams continued to dominate, stretching their lead to as much as 21. Then all of a sudden, things changed. Harvard, who was ice cold all night long, started hitting threes. That that paired with URI's inability to get anything going on offense, I started getting major FGCU flashbacks. A 15-0 Crimson run brought the game to a close 49-46 battle with nine minutes to go. This time, though, the Rams would not stop fighting. After reestablishing their presence on offense and hitting free throws down the stretch, the Rams quelled any further threat from the Crimson, squeaking out a 64-57 victory. It should be a leg of the team in points and minutes with 16 and 34, respectfully. Mikel Mitchell had 13 points, 7 rebounds, and 2 steals in 32 minutes of play. Yes, 32 minutes of play. He played that much, which is crazy after you go over the PC game. Notable scores for Harvard were Louis Lesman, who was bipolar from 3. He led the team with 15 points, but went 5 for 14 from deep. And the Rams limited star player Chris Ledlam to only 11 points. I mean, for me in this one, as you mentioned, the defense, the rebounding, that was phenomenal for the Rams. But their field goal shooting really propelled them to victory. They shot almost 50%, 48.9. Harvard only shot 33.3%. So they were ice cold for a majority of the night until they started to hit those threes late in the game. But all around, just great performances from Leggett, 
Mikael Mitchell, Malik Martin. They helped carry the offense when Shepard didn't really have a great game. I mean, no points scored kind of the every other night performance, as you mentioned in the last episode. But it still felt like he made an impact. I mean, he didn't have really any major stat lines. I think he had a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists, nothing major. But he still kind of helped settle down the offense late in the game. 42 rebounds for URI, though. That's the that's a stat that really stands out. And they definitely used their size to their advantage and pounded the glass. Yeah, I, I believe that in this game, when things did not go the Rams' way in that second half, because it seemed that Harvard couldn't hit the Boston Harbor if they were just right there. It was just abysmal. They kept, it wasn't like they were bad, like bad shots. I mean, they were shooting open shots and they were just rimming out off the glass and hitting the rim and not going in. It was just very unfortunate. And as a Redown fan, I was like, all right. I mean, I know we're up 21, but we can't stop because shots are going to fall. If you keep shooting, the shots are going to end up falling. And that's what happened for Harvard. They hit, I think three or four threes in a span of a couple minutes kind of like FGCU, and next you know, they're back in this game after creating a couple turnovers on defense. So, but the Rams, they did not squander the lead. They scratched, clawed, grasped, whatever verb along those lines you want to use. The Rams did. I mean, and they got back to the basics, thwarted the Harvard comeback. They went back down low. They stopped turning the ball over. They got to the free throw line and hit their shot. So that's what really led that Rhode Island team to that victory as things did not go their way in the end. It's amazing when a Mitchell gets 20-plus minutes, never mind 32. I mean, McKill had a great game at stadium before and was a force all night long. Makai, though, not so much. Only played 14 minutes fouling out in the second half. Needless to say, something must change in the foul department for those two men. But McKell did great, 13 points, 7 rebounds, a couple steals, and 32 minutes of play. Definitely was a force to be reckoned with and something that Harvard could not stop down low on, uh, on Rudy's offense. And... URI's three-point shooting was a disaster against Harvard. I mean, two for 14 is not ideal at all, but the Rams, who have shot the tray ball at a pretty high clip, found other ways to make sure this one stayed in the wing column, which is another good uh, good way to look at this as Rhode Island, not, things not going their way in the second half, they still battled, and they took down a, a very good Crimson team on the road. Yeah, and it seemed like they kind of played keep away a little bit. And there was a sequence, I think it was with – probably less than like three minutes to go at the end of the game where you or I just kept getting rebounds after their missed shots. They just didn't allow Harvard to score. They killed so much time off the clock and they just didn't allow Harvard to get a rebound in their own defensive end and head down the floor and score. I mean, it seemed like at that point it was too little too late for Harvard and you or I just found a way to just keep milking the clock and not allow them to have any chance and end up getting the victory. So definitely a victory you or I needed, winning 64-57 on the road as they headed into their rivalry game last Saturday at the dunk. It is never ideal to let a back-to-back-to-back threes to start a game, especially against your rival in Providence. To go down 9 nothing, not ideal at all, especially when it turns to 17-5. to The Rams definitely started out slow against Providence on Saturday afternoon on offense, but it got to a point where PC was just making tough shots, and that was a main theme throughout. But Rhodey did not go away, though, as they used an 11-0 run to quiet the dunk crowd to bring the game within one. There was an official timeout. David Cox got out on the court, started hyping up all the URI fans at the dunk. It was a great scene there. They even took a 22-21 lead in a few a few minutes later, and that is when the Rams probably played the worst four and a half minutes all year long. I mean, I'm including... Tulsa and FGC in this, like, 
the, those collapses were not nearly as bad as what happened in the last four and a half minutes. I mean, they let PC end the half on a 14-2 run. You, talk, you look at these college basketball coaches. One of their main things is, or, or m- many sports with time, they always talk about, all right, the last two minutes, the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half are the biggest minutes, biggest stretch of the whole game. It sets the tempo for the second half, and it sets the tone for the rest of the game. The Rams did terrible. So obviously that 14-2 run is not ideal, but the Rams couldn't get anything to fall down low. Turnaround jump shots, not going. Shots in the paint that usually go in for your ride, not going. It was Antoine, Mikel, Makai. I mean, the guards couldn't get anything down low. And then pair that with having troubles against a Friar zone press that was very pesky and just stifled the Rams on offense. I mean, to be down 35-24 was bad enough after a solid comeback from the Rams, but it got worse in the second half. When PC came out over the first six and a half minutes, outscoring Rody by six to take their largest lead of the afternoon, 48-31. As things looked bleak for Rhode Island, flashes from Sebastian Thomas and Antoine Walker gave the Rams a little bit of hope late. The Rams used a 13-2 run to get within six, but could never break that point barrier. Untimely turnover, free throw misses, and bad three-point shooting gave way to the Friars' ability to pull away late to take down URI 66-52. to The Rams' leading score was Jeremy Shepard with 10 points. Mikel had nine, and Antoine had eight, while Malik Martin only had two points, but eight rebounds off the bench. PC was led by Noah Horkler, who had 16 points, shooting four for eight from downtown. But the best performance had to be from LaSalle transfer forward, Ed Croswell for the Friars, who stepped in when... Nate Watson struggled and got into foul trouble. Croswell finished with 13 points and 15 rebounds, including eight offensive rebounds. I mean, he was insane in that game. He he just single-handedly took over. It felt like at one point he was their main source of offense in that one, especially with Nate Watson not being, you know, as much of a presence in this game. And I hate to nag on so much on this team, but it just feels like when URI goes into the dunk, it's just their house of horrors. Everything goes wrong. All their confidence as a basketball team goes out the window, and they just can't play competitive in team basketball. They couldn't rebound. They couldn't shoot, set up their offense, stay out of foul trouble. Everything you needed to do to win this game, they couldn't. There was just a plethora of glaring issues in this game for the Rams. Their offense seemed so broken. There wasn't any continuity or rhythm for a majority of the game besides that big run the first half and that comeback in the second half. It seemed like it would be a close game at those times, but they just couldn't find a way to keep pushing the momentum, get key stops on defense, get those rebounds. Nothing went the Rams away in this game, it felt like. Yeah, I, the first thing that obviously stands out to me is how Rody was just outplayed down low through and through. I originally thought Rody matched up well with PC's bigs, and even though on paper it might seem logical, it, it just was not. I mean, the Friars killed Rody on the boards 45-30, to 30, including a 20-8 to 8 advantage on the offensive glass, which is just terrible. To get 12 more, to give PC 12 more shots wins them the game because if you look at it, from the field, PC shot 36.5%. Like, that's not good. Like, that's not good at all. It's below average. And if PC shoots 36.5% against most teams they play in the Big East, they will lose a lot of their games. But they managed to get 12 more shots than the Rams on all 12 of those offensive rebounds. The Rams shot 5% better, but they took 12 less shots because PC killed them on the offensive and defensive glass, especially on the offensive glass when 
you were right needed key stops. They forced bad shots. Some went in for PC. I'm not going to lie. AJ Reeves was lights out. There were some threes where I was like, oh, my God. I mean, like, he's four feet behind the three-point line. Got a hand in his face. I'll give him that all day. It just happened to go in. And that's fine. I mean, if you keep a team under 40% and those are the shots they're making, like, you're doing a good job on defense. But you can't give them more and more opportunities. And that's what Rhode Island did. Croswell, Watson, Horser. I mean, they all hammered the paint. And I don't know. I, I know some of them were long rebounds. And then those are tough. I'm not going to blame the bigs on that because – the dunk rims are pretty balanced. There's a lot of shots from both teams went in and out. And I always feel like nothing really drops in the dunk. That's just me though. But there's some of them where you got three guys in the paint and then you have Croswell slipping by with an easy put back layup. And it's like so annoying because you need stops, but you just can't get them. So that was definitely a struggle. And it also does not help when your two starting bigs play less than half a game with both recording 18 minutes each. I mean, fouls have limited the, the, the bright future of the Mitchell Twins and have been the Achilles heel of this team so far, more than anything. I mean, I know Ishmael Luggett had four fouls, which, to be fair, is uncharacteristic. There were some loose ball fouls that I disagreed with That in the first half. He had two loose ball fouls, great hustle plays, the call fouls. I didn't really agree with that, but I know he had four, but very uncharacteristic of him. He plays a lot. I mean, when you play 34 minutes, I mean, you're supposed to have a couple fouls. But, I mean, these Mitchell Twins, 18 minutes each. If you're the, the main two bigs, there's three bigs on the team, right? If you think about it. We still got, we, you say four because we got uh, A.O. Fly in there. He got there in a little bit. He had his first college points. He had clutch basket uh, in, the, in the first half. But you have Antoine and then you have the Mitchell Twins. That's four. All right? Irio, A.O. Fly. I mean, he is a redshirt freshman who gets, on average, a minute and a half a game. Maybe two minutes after the PC game. They have Antoine Walker who gets solid time off the bench, but then that's all you have. Then you have the Mitchell Twins. So have your two guys play 18 minutes. It's, it's, it's absolutely absurd. Because, just think about this. I mean, if it means they're not aggressive, like let it be like, I don't know. It's just so... It, it frustrates me so much because, like, imagine, imagine, like, Hassan Martin and Karan Iverson of that 2016-17. Imagine they played 18 minutes each. Like, that team would not be good at all. Like, those two best bigs, if they played 18 minutes each, they would not be a 21-team and an 8-10 champion. That's what I'm saying. To have your two best bigs or your two most promising bigs play only eight, like, less than half a game, like, because of foul trouble. I get it, like, you're injured and you're nursing through that. Totally different. I just can't harp on it enough because that is the Achilles heel of this team is foul and playing time. I, I, I don't know. So, and I got a couple more here because there's a lot to take from this game. Where's Jeremy Shepard? That's what I'm asking. I mean, the last two games, he's averaged 10 points, shooting three for 17 from the field and over seven from three. I mean, this guy is supposed to be our guy we can rely on to get us buckets when we need him to. He has a good mid range, but it's just been cold from deep and, Shots need to start falling for him soon, or I can see him getting bounced out of the lineup like Fast Russell was in years past. Any positives with the PC game? Yes, and there's one. First, let me say this too. One just a little honorable mention, Malik Martin. Many people sleep on Malik Martin, but I think he's actually a very good spark off the bench. He does everything that Uri needs him to. He might not have the most points. He might have, you know, a couple fouls, but he makes hustle plays, gets rebounds, gets assists. So 
I, I think the honorable mention, I think he played pretty well against PC on defense too. So there's that. But number one, Sebastian Thomas. I mean, the Rhode Island native, he only scored two points, but he was a key spark off the bench. He really led Rhode during that 13-2 run. And in 20 minutes of play, he was all over the court, playing aggressive and doing whatever he could do to help Rhodey. So watch out to see him get more playing time, especially if uh, Shepard's struggles continue. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start at some point. I mean, it'd be shocking to to move Jeremy Shepard to the bench, but just considering how he's been so off the past few games and so inconsistent, that might be the best move possible. So I I wouldn't mind that. He did play pretty well. Not a huge stat line, but just did something to help his team out in a game where there weren't a ton of positives. And it it seemed like a demoralizing loss, considering they had a lot of momentum from their last two wins. You're building something. This would just be a huge monkey off your back exercise those demons but yet again they're they're pc's little brother when they play at the dunk i mean they haven't they haven't won in the last nine games they've played at the dunk donut center this is a place where they struggle every time they go and play it was put up or shut up time considering how much talk there was after not playing this game last year but yet again it's it's a you know a, a tough loss at the dunk and you're wondering when that streak snaps I and mean, hopefully it's next time and you have to keep in mind, this was the first URI PC game for everyone on the roster for URI. None of these players had played in this rivalry game. I don't think it's an excuse to, to say how bad they played, but at the same time, have to get used to all that. So, you know, hopefully you can bounce back. I think they can, but definitely, definitely a win you want, considering how much of a quality win that would have been. I told I, I couldn't agree with you more, but I think that that game could also give those young guys and people who haven't played as much as in a big game against a a, a Big East crowd with ten thousand more people. Like, hopefully that prepares them for the big game as we get into eight time play and take on St. Bonaventure, you know, Dayton, Davidson. So hopefully that can prepare the Rams, and you know, nothing else to do than just move on. Uh, someone asked me at school today how did I felt about the UIPC game, and I said after the loss. I didn't talk about it at all. The only time I will talk about it is on a podcast, and that's all you're going to hear from me because at this point, what, what's there to harp on? Uh, obviously, we talked about the negative, happy fix, and the positives, but besides that, lost the ball game. Things got to get better, and we move on. I guess we got four more confer- non-conference games left, so you get ready for conference play because as of right now, the goal for you is to win an A-10 championship, and I believe they can do so when they have the pieces together. I mean, we've seen it this year, like that second half against Bryant, or even that first half against Harvard, how they can be so dominant if they do the things the right way. So there's definitely a lot of promise to see, but they've, they've really got to work on it. Luckily, they have a, a couple games upcoming that could help them a lot. So moving on to their only game of the week that we'll be previewing, and that is uh, the Rams against Sacred Heart tomorrow night on Tuesday at 6 p.m. at the time of recording. With the Rams last month of non-con coming to a close, this will be only game previewing as we will preview Milwaukee and Charleston next week. Again, the Rams, they got Sacred Heart, Milwaukee, who's struggling, Charleston, who's doing solid this year, and then Brown. So those are the four games, and I I don't expect – they have they kind of have to go 4-0. I mean, they should, they should beat Sacred Heart, and they should beat Milwaukee. If they lose to one of those teams, we have major problems. Brown's in solid, but again, they're at home. They, they – the Brown loss a couple years ago was on the road. It was a freak game, and that's what happens. It's a trap game, but at home, you shouldn't really lose to Brown. 
And then they played Charleston at a neutral site. So uh, it's just interesting to see how that goes. But those are four games that you or I should win after. I mean, they beat Harvard on the road. I think Harvard is better than all four of those teams. I mean, if you look at it. So the Rams are finishing up the non-conference schedule as they come back home to start this four-game stretch at the Ryan Center to host three and six Sacred Heart. The Pioneers are led by ninth-year head coach Anthony Latina and were projected sixth in the NEC preseason media poll. Sacred Heart holds a road holds road wins versus LaSalle and Lafayette, while also destroying Fisher College like every other team in the Northeast Conference. The only common opponent between these two teams so far is the Providence College Friars, as the Pioneers lost to the Friars back in November at the dunk by 28 points. The Pioneers are led by 6'3 guard Tyler Thomas, who is an absolute stud. Thomas has averaged 20.1 points a game, five and a half rebounds, and 2.6 assists so far. And he is the guy you have to limit if you are the Rams. Other key scores include senior guard Aaron Clark, who averages 15 and a half a game, guard Alex, Wat- Alex Watson, who averages 9.3 points, and 6'6 forward Nico Gallette, who averages 8.8 points and 9.5 rebounds. I mean, this this seems like a very inconsistent team. They show flashes of greatness, but then they get demolished one game. Uh, Tyler Thomas, he's a star for the Pioneers. Great name, by the way. Love that. Uh, he leads the team in points, rebounds, steals. I think as long as he doesn't have a big game, this seems like an easy win for the Rams. But as you said, you can't overlook them, even if they're not a great team on paper. You can't afford to have a bad loss in non-conference play when you already have three losses to begin with. And need to go four and out down the stretch. I definitely agree. This team actually gives me a lot of similarities to Harvard. Small and athletic after coming off their worst rebounding performance, the Rams must bounce back as this St. Charles team is, is sneaky good at rebounding, right? I looked at their stats. They're not bad at all. They're in the top half of Division One when it comes to rebounding, even though their tallest player on the roster is six seven forward, Contavio Dutrell. So the Rams must not overlook the Pioneers as they hustle for every ball and rebound extremely well for their size. Rivardi must use their size to their advantage and limit second-chance opportunities, unlike unlike against PC. So the Rams obviously have the size, and I think they got to use that to their advantage. It works pretty well against Harvard, so do that for 40 minutes, and I don't think the Rams will have any more problems. Again, to harp on the second-chance opportunities, the Rams have to limit those because like FGCU, the Pioneers love to shoot the three ball. They rank 78th nationally in three-point attempts per game at 25 and a half. And even though they are in the lower half of Division One three-point shooting, we've seen what happens when teams that love shooting the three ball get hot. It's a mess. It's not fun to watch. You think that every shot is just going to go to the bottom of the net. The Rams must contest shots and close out at a high level, and they need good guard defense to stunt the Pioneers' offense from getting hot. Finally, last key, Please limit the fouls. I mean, if the Mitchell Twins do not get 20 minutes each because of foul trouble, I will lose my mind. Your main bigs cannot be on the bench for more than half a game. Again, that URI 2016-17 squad would be nowhere if Hassan Martin and Cronus had played 18 minutes each. It would be pandemonium. I mean, even Andre Berry in the year after, him and Cyril Langevin split time, but he still got 25 minutes a game, and that's because of foul trouble because he had to get rested as well because he's a big boy, pushed them in and out. I get that, but we need the two main forwards of this, this different and URI offense and URI starting lineup because we usually see a URI team that's very guard heavy and has got a skilled big who's around 6'8", 6'7", who's fast, quick, and tough. But now we have these big, lengthy forwards who are 6'10", each, and that's a big part of our offense because it's 
all about getting down low, out-rebounding teams, being shot blockers up front. You can't do that, and you can't execute that game plan with 6-7 Antoine Walker in the paint. Not saying you can't get the job, but when you have two two twin towers like Mikel and Makai Mitchell, and that's all that's your whole game plan, you have to be able to stick in the game and play basketball without fouling out. So the Rams have to work on their foul woes soon or else come 8-10 time, time, it won't be pretty. So that's my last key to key to victory there against Sacred Heart. Well, their main weakness in that PC game was not being able to get rebounds, so they have to hammer the glass in this game. I think you or I can blow this team out if they can out-rebounding, out-rebound them. I mean, that's one of their main strengths looking at it. They have 38.6 rebounds per game, but they allow 73.4 points per game. So, I mean, they, they can easily get scored on. Their field goal percentage is below 45%, so they're not a good shooting team. Their defense isn't very good. They just rebound. That's one of their only strengths. They URA has to make their free throws. It seems so simple, but they always struggle with it. So it's e- easy points. Just take those easy points and then settle down on offense. Take the best shot. Don't force shots and take those open and uncontested shots. It feels like if they do that, they can be a better three-point shooting team and they need to make their threes to take this game. I don't think they should take a ton of threes every game to begin with. I don't think that's their strength. I think it's, you know, putting the ball down low and letting your bigs take over, but we'll see if the three-point shooting improves in this one. I definitely agree with you, Colin. And going back to that PC game, I mean, some of the threes you were taking were not bad shots. I mean, they, they moved the ball pretty well on the outside and the perimeter. They had trouble getting it down low without turning the ball over or a couple offensive fouls, but they had a couple opportunities where they had some corner threes that were wide open. They just couldn't get anything to fall. So if it's like that, then it's like, what can you do? But the last thing you want to see is be like, all right, Jeremy Shepard walks the ball down, gets a pick, throws up the three. Like if we move the ball down, like, Again, I will never get mad at an open three ball that we miss. It's like, okay, we move on. It's an open shot. Take the best shot, and that's it. So hopefully we can see more ball movement because I actually believe they did pretty well ball movement when they broke the press. That was horrendous. They got to work on that. But when they broke the press, they moved the ball pretty well on the outside. got some open shots. Just couldn't get them to fall. So that's our preview for the Sacred Heart Pioneers. Again, that game's on tomorrow night as of recording, Tuesday, December 7th at 6 p.m. at the Ryan Center. We're going to look around the A-10, starting with last week's games on November 30th, Tuesday. We had a pair of games. Davidson beat down their rival, Charlotte, 75-58. to Hung Jung Lee, 32 points, 14 rebounds. Unbelievable game for him. Looking to be a contender for A-10 player of the year. And St. Louis goes on the road and wins in overtime to beat Boise State, 86-82. to Last Wednesday, you had URI being Harvard by seven. Richmond going on the road to take down Wofford by nine. In that game against Wofford, wait, never mind. That, that's another game for Richmond. But Temple defeats Philadelphia rival LaSalle, 73-57. Boston University goes on the road and beats George Washington, 56-54. to Fordham takes down St. Francis, Brooklyn. Dayton finally gets a home win. They scored 57 points in the second half to take down Alabama State, 93-54. St. Joe's beats Binghamton. And St. Bonaventure ekes out a close one against 1-10 Coppin State, 93-81 Coppin State, led by four. It was the effort of a 53-point second half for St. Bonaventure to pull them ahead. And Bowling Green defeats Duke Canyon, who has just continued to struggle all year long we have more games last Saturday the fourth of course URI's lost to Providence by 14 
Villanova throttled St. Joe's by 29, 81-52. UMass took down Harvard by 10, 87-77. LaSalle beat Holy Cross by 19. Charlotte beat George Washington. Dayton killed Northern Illinois. Another win at the UD Arena for Dayton as they look to continue, as they continue their win streak coming off an unbelievable trip in Florida, winning back-to-back games over two pretty lousy opponents, but good to see them get, getting back-to-back wins at home after struggling early on. Davidson kills William & Mary. VCU ekes out one against Campbell. St. Bonaventure closes out a tough one against uh, New York rival Buffalo by three, 60-65. UAB upsets St. Louis at St. Louis, 77-72. Old Dominion beats George Mason, who started off the year four and one now four and five so rough past couple weeks for george mason and duke kane again losing to marshall 72 to 71 on sunday richmond defeated northern iowa and what i meant to say before is after this game jacob gilliard for richmond became the division one ncaa all-time steals leader with one of his steals against northern iowa and their eight-point victory 60 52 and fordham Tried to stick around a little bit with St. John's, but the Red Storm pulled away for a 14-point, 83-69 victory. Looking forward to this week's game. On Tuesday, you have URI Sacred Heart, UMass traveling to in-state Northeastern in Boston, LaSalle hosting Fairleigh Dickinson, Navy going to George Mason, St. Louis hosting Belmont, and DePaul hosting Duquesne. On Wednesday, you have Coppin State traveling to George Washington, Loyola, Maryland, traveling to St. Bonaventure. St. Joe's hosting Pennsylvania for one another big five uh, Philadelphia rivalry. VCU hosts Jacksonville State. And Dayton goes on the road for a very big game against SMU, a team that has yet to lose at home. On Thursday, the lone game is Long Island University going on, taking the short trip to the Bronx from Long Island to take on Fordham. And then on Saturday, the last of St. Joe's big five games as they host Temple in Philly. Duquesne plays New Hampshire. LaSalle hosts Pennsylvania. UConn takes on St. Bonaventure in Newark, New Jersey. A big game with top 25 implications written all over it. UMass goes to North Texas. Boston College travels to St. Louis. Interesting to see how they play after year I played them twice. Toledo goes on the road to Richmond. And Old Dominion hosts in-state BCU in a little Virginia rivalry there. And on Sunday, Fordham goes, actually stays in New York to take on Miami. Davidson goes to Boston to play Northeastern. And Dayton hosts a very good Virginia Tech team trying to extend that win streak to seven games as they host the Hokies next Sunday at 2 p.m. That is the A-10 look around, Colin. We will go into our pick picks now. Last week, we picked a lot of the same games, uh, a lot of same teams. Four of the five games, we actually picked the same team. Let's take a look at the results. Ohio State, Duke, both picked Duke there. Couldn't trust Ohio State. Of course, Ohio State gets the 71-66 victory, so both take a loss there. UNC took down Michigan by 21, so we'll both get the win there. Purdue, Iowa. Iowa missing one of their best players, but Purdue – Still manages to get the victory, 77-70. to They moved to number one in the AP poll this week. First time in program history. So we both get a win there. Our only disagreement was Ole Miss-Memphis. You, you, you trusted Memphis and their talent. I didn't. Their turnover woes were just too much for me to handle to pick them. And Ole Miss 
pulled out the home upset 67 to 63. So I'll take the win, Colin, take the loss. And then a shocker for all of us. I wasn't really paying attention to this game, but Alabama upsetting Gonzaga 91-82. A great Saturday for Alabama fans when it comes to football and basketball. So we'll take a loss there. Our overall record, Colin, Colin, you're at 12 and 8, two games behind me as I am at 14 and 6. So our top national games of the week, and Colin, there are some unbelievable ones this week. Not just the ones that we have here, but a lot of others that have top 25 implications. So this is a great week for college basketball. A couple challenges and a couple mini tournaments uh, taking place this week. We start Tuesday as Tennessee plays Texas Tech at MSG at the Jimmy V Classic. Colin, who's your pick? I'm going to go with Tennessee in this one. I can't really trust Texas Tech after that bad performance against PC. So I'm going to go with the Volunteers. I'm going to agree with you there when it comes to Tennessee. I mean, they're on a roll. They've won six straight after taking that loss to, it was Villanova in the NIT preseason tip-off. So, or whatever their thing was at Mohegan Sun. They've won six straight. They're on a roll. I'm taking the Vols. Now, on Wednesday, as part of the Big East Big 12 battle, West Virginia takes on UConn. I'm not going to pick against Dan Hurley and the UConn Huskies, as good as West Virginia can be with Bob Huggins and company. I just think UConn has played extremely well all year. They've played tough teams in close games. They have the experience to go on the road and defeat West Virginia, so I'm taking the UConn Huskies. Even though they're missing Tyrese Martin, I will still take them over West Virginia. I'm going to go with West Virginia in this one. I think UConn is a great team, but I just think in Morgantown, West Virginia is one of the best home teams usually every year. They've got that press. They've got Huggins, who's an incredible defensive-minded head coach. I think they get the win. On Thursday, number 23, Seton Hall hosts number seven, Texas. Again, part of that Big East Big 12 battle at 6.30 p.m., as much as attempting to pick Seton Hall, I just think Texas has been kind of under the radar the past couple of weeks after their early loss to Gonzaga. They've slowly been building up a resume, taking teams down with ease. I believe they go in. I'm not going to say it's not going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be a close game. But I just believe Texas has the talent and the ability to take down Seton Hall. So I'm going to take the Longhorns in that one. I'm going to go with the Pirates. I'll go with Seton Hall, Kevin Willard who's an amazing head coach, one of the most underrated coaches in the country. I mean, Seton Hall, obviously, barely in that top 25, but still a tremendous team. I know Texas is a top 10 team. They're going to be one of the favorites to win the Big 12, but I still think Seton Hall playing at home at the Prudential Center, big game, big crowd, I think they're able to pull off the upset. No surprise there. Colin Shruckman and Kevin Willard, a match made in heaven. Going into Saturday, Number nine, Alabama takes on number 14, Houston, at 10 p.m. Colin, who do you have in that one? I mean, Houston was on my team last year. They, I had them winning the national championship, and they made it to the Final Four. I don't think they have as strong as a team, but they're still a great defensive team. But Alabama's riding high after, win, after that win against Gonzaga. I think they continue that and get a big win at home against Houston. Two weeks ago when we had that Virginia-Houston game, I'm going to harp on some of the similar aspects. Alabama, great team. They beat a Gonzaga team who I don't really know what to think of because they destroyed UCLA. They played great. 
They played okay against Duke, and they just couldn't get anything on defense against Alabama. Now, as much as Gonzaga is one of the best teams in the nation, they are not nearly as good as that defense than Houston. I mean, Houston has done a great job. They held Virginia to under 50 points. They just destroyed them that game because of their pressure, the way they get rebounds and fight. Uh, not necessarily an offensive superpower, but just studs on defense, people who want to hustle and work hard. So I, I believe the Alabama team has re-relied on their offense to get things going. I think that stops against Houston, who is an unbelievable defensive team. And I just think Houston, using their defense, will get the victory. Pro- the game will probably be under 70 points for both teams. I see it like 68 to 57 Houston. So moving on to our last game on Sunday, as part of the Big East Big 12 battle, a blockbuster as number two Baylor takes on number six Villanova at 3 p.m. I'm going to go with Baylor, the defending national champions. I know they lost their big three from last year. They lost Jared Butler, Macy Oteague, and Davion Mitchell, but they still have three players averaging double digits. They're a phenomenal team. I think they should be in the mix to repeat. I think they have a strong team. Again, a great defensive team. That was one of their strengths last year. I think Villanova's a great team. I mean, having Colin Gillespie back is huge. They're they're still going to be a team that could win the Big East, but at the same time, I think Baylor is just still such a strong team. It, it feels weird because they haven't, they haven't been talked about as much as they should. And just looking at what they've done this year is, is so impressive. I mean, 56.4 points against per game, and they average 84 points per game. Great offense, great defense, 42 rebounds per game, about four blocks per game, almost 12 steals per game. They are the most complete team in college basketball. I wouldn't be surprised if they run it up on Nova. I totally agree. Uh, I'm going to take Baylor on that one. Also, you know, this is a team that was under the radar just because no one knew how they were going to play. I mean, obviously they have Scott Drew, great head coach. They lost their big three, as you mentioned before, but this team has just proven to be a juggernaut running through the beginning of their schedule. And I take on Villanova be a real test for them. Villanova's played a couple tough teams, though. Wouldn't be surprised to kept it close. They've got experience against, you know, high-quality matchups. They've gone to UCLA. They've played Tennessee. So, and they've played Purdue. Villanova maybe may have one of the toughest schedules for a top 25 team so far. So they've definitely been battle tested. Uh, I don't think Villanova is going to lie down at all, but I just think Baylor has played great all year and they've been a juggernaut. And I don't think you could pick against them right now. So I'm going to get you there and go with the Baylor Bears, Sikkim Bears. So that's going to do it for our podcast this week. Rhode Island. Got a big one tomorrow, a must-win against Sacred Heart to get some momentum going as they take on Milwaukee and Charleston in Washington, D.C. next week. A lot of great games in college basketball, so look out for that because I think there are going to be a lot of upsets, a lot of turnaround in that bottom seven seat, but the bottom seven rankings in the top 25 because you have the Big East, Big 12 Challenge, the Jimmy V at MSG, a lot of things going on, big week for college basketball, so I'm very excited. I know you are as well, Colin. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. And as always, ready, ready, ready.